everybody, and welcome to episode number 48 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Rakish Ray, and I'm joined here by my chic co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a man who's been mistaken for a vegan because of all the carrots on his neck. <laughs> I am talking about an old school Vancouver pimp, the proper villain, JJ. How's it going? Hey, how you doing, brother? I'm feeling good, man. Doing real good. Our guest today started out in 1994 trading with his mentor who had a seat on the CBOE. He's been involved in equities, options, futures, private equity, and VC type deals to list companies. A man who retired at the old age of 30 years old. And during this pandemic, he has single handedly kept the Salt Lake City economy afloat. <laughs> I'm talking about our good friend, Chris Hanks. Chris. How's it going? Good to be here. Having a good time. Oh, man, I really appreciate you coming on. I know you're a guy who likes to stay in the background a little bit more. So, Chris, you know, I, I made the joke about you keeping, you know, the Utah economy afloat because of your affinity for luxurious toys. Have you had any favorite purchases lately? I think my favorite at the moment, um, well, I like the Audi. I have an A8. Uh, L, which I like, but I think my favorite right at this moment is the three wind or the five window. It's a 31 Chevy coupe. Nice. That's very nice. I know uh, before we got on here, we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, your love for snowmobiling. Like what's oh. what weather like? What, what year does that start? Or I mean, what time of year does that start? Uh, hopefully we have a good snow season this year. Usually we'll start it out here. You can go early in the season, but typically, like I did last year, I'll wreck them and you'll have to buy new A-arms or new suspension, you know, that stuff, because <laughs> I'm not the most careful individual, as anyone will tell you. Um, <laughs> but usually I prefer really, really deep powder because both of my sleds are race gas turbos. Um, they're super hot rods, so they can pretty much go anywhere, I feel like, which I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, any, like, uh, scary incidents. Uh, there was a guy, one of my friends, like, growing up, his his dad, like, I broke a shit ton of bones in his body. I've heard other scary stories. Uh, <laughs> you've been relatively safe or what? Um, I only broke, I only broke my hand. Well, last year I broke a finger and I had to get a screw put in it. Um, my brother, what did he do? I can't remember if he broke his back or if he just fractured something like lightly. Lightly. But, um, <laughs> then my, my other friend, he, he broke his back really bad and he ended up getting, a, I think it was like a dozen screws and a couple of rods and all this junk put in there. And so, yeah, you can get yourself hurt if you do fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a dangerous activity. I'll, uh, you know, I'll stick to Lagoon. Know, right yes <laughs> i got i got worse hit on my bicycle than i ever have on a snowmobile oh yeah That's gracious. Oh, sure yeah i bet so so just a reminder to the listeners if you guys want to learn market auction theory market profile trade futures trade equities join jj and i and chris as well at our lovely trading community at microefutures.com chris tell us a, a little bit about your background your start in the industry and also i'm curious to how you linked up with your mentor um, I was actually super fortunate. Um, so 
my dad was always in, you know, deal making and stuff like that and uh, involved in companies and, you know, taking them public and doing that whole deal. But I was going to school at the time, you know, and I, I thought I was going to be a, an aerospace engineer and, you know, make stuff out of carbon fiber for bombers and stuff. I thought that'd be cool. But um, I met my mentor at school and I was, cause I was going through different companies and I was interviewing or what recruiting through like ATK and Thiokol and um, Hercules aerospace, all those guys. And I'd met him and he says, Hey, you're, you know, you're kind of smart, uh, which I disagree with, but he, he thought I was fairly intelligent. So I said, okay, here's the deal. You know, what do you do? And he says, well, I, you know, I, I move paper. And I was like, well, what the hell are you talking about? He <laughs> goes, well, let me show you what I mean. And I was like, okay. And so I started working with him and that was, that was a long time ago. And, and he'd owned a seat on the exchange, uh, the B CBOE. And he started showing me and we started training and I worked with him as my mentor for, oh my gosh, probably five years before he became, or I became a business partner of his. And uh, we had that and we had a few companies that we did and it was really fun because you retail and, and JJ, we talk about this all the time. Retail has no idea what's really going on. And, you know, and I laugh and, you know, one of my comments is I say the market's rigged, always has been, always will be, but it's not rigged in the way you think it is. Exactly. It's rigged in your lack of education of understanding how the other side works. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like playing basketball if you only know the rules to soccer. It's not mm -hmm. going to work out real well because you don't know. Now you can watch somebody and kind of pick up a thing or two and you can maybe make a basket, but chances are, you know, you're going to get out of the game pretty quick because <laughs> you're going to kick a ball. They're going to kick you off the court. And that's what people do with their accounts. They're just, and I don't want to say they're intentionally doing it. It's just, they, they've never had the, you know, the opportunity or, or being fortunate enough to sit down on a trade desk and, and have people train them and say, Hey, no, I'll throw a keyboard at you. Stop. That's not exactly. what you <laughs> Seriously. You'll get a phone upside your head. You know, you'll get people screaming at you because you're an idiot. And I don't, and I would say that nicely, but it's people just don't have that, that respect for that other size player. You know, when there's someone in the market that wants, that has an intention and they want something to happen, they can make it happen. It's, and you can either go along with it or you can fight it as much as you'd like, but you're going to go down kicking and screaming. And I prefer not to do that. <laughs> yeah, for kind sure. of the thought of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, well, you know, the way retail trading or, or people who teach retail trading is marketed, um, I mean, I think it's a disadvantage to the people, you know, and like you said, they, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And I, I really like, you know, the webinar that you did, Chris, the the quote that you put uh, at the start, like uh, of the webinar, you pay for education once you pay for ignorance for a lifetime. Yeah. And in the market, you pay for it over and over and over and over and over again. Right. Because if you don't know, you don't know what to fix. 
you're going to walk into that same trap because I'm damn good at setting them. And you're going to walk into it every time. And I, I'm going to laugh and I'm going to take your money. I'm going to take your stock and I'm going to be happy about it. You're going to be upset, but it's not my fault. Yeah. You know, I'm doing business. Exactly. How I was trained to do business. And huh. if you're not up to speed with that, it's not my fault. No, mm -hmm. don't it. come to a drag race in a Yugo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for real. Oh my God, man! You took me back. Oh. <laughs> right? Oh, I a Renault, this. a Renault Lacar. Yeah. So you know, Chris, you, you know, as I mentioned in the opening, you retired at 30 years old. I'm, I'm turning 29 this weekend. Shout out to me. Nice, <laughs> nice party with all Dave Ray. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, we're we're gonna be down in Miami. So any of the listeners down there, hit me up. We'll uh, we're having a good time. But, you know, I mean, I'm not no, nowhere close in a year to retiring. I mean, how did you feel a sense of accomplishment, one? And then, two, like, how did, did you just take us to how, like, your thought process, how you got there? Um, that's just, you know, who does that? Nobody. I actually hated it. Really? Um, when I retired, I, you know, I always laugh and say I'm a two-year-old with unlimited income. But I didn't like it because... There's no, when you have that environment of, and if you've never been, you know, on a floor or anything like that, if you have never had that, that is such a rush. It is the most excitement that you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> it is absolutely fantastic. And you miss that. And there's nothing else that can give you that. Yeah. And it, and with me, I'm so ADD that my OCD can't even remember what I'm worried about. And so <laughs> I've got to go, I've got to do something and I have to be doing something. But I took, you know, some time off and I was traveling, messing around and, you know, I was on the water half of the year and I was in the mountains the other half of the year and traveling, playing, having fun. And I just, I missed, I just missed actually being engaged because sitting behind a screen, and trading, it really good trading, and I tell this to people all the time, good trading is boring. Mm -hmm. It really is. Because if you're super excited when you're trading, you're probably doing something wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to make money, don't get me wrong. But if you're, you know, hitting the bid and you're like, oh, oh man, I hope it goes this way. Better do something different. <laughs> exactly. Because hmm. because there's, there's a difference because I, I I like what you brought that up right but there, there's a difference for having a love for it than having an over exuberance or uh, right you got to have like um because we got to keep our emotions in check right 100 percent that's the hardest thing in trading and I and we were talking about that earlier mm -hmm. I tell people I say you know what the the biggest game that you have to figure out is well we talked about it a little saying don't system jump. You know, don't go from, I've got candlesticks or Renko's or Ichimoku clouds or, you know, profile or whatever the heck you're looking at, bar charts. I mean, whatever you're doing, don't go from that every other week and try to figure something out because you're not. Because you mentally need to have that game on lock. That's where you need to be. 
confident in your system because you have to have a system. I mean, you have to have an approach. You have to like JJ, we talk about it every day. Well, you got to have levels. How yeah. else do you know where to get in or out? You know, exactly. where, where are the stops at? Where's the position? Exactly. How, how do you figure anything if you don't know that? You mm -hmm. just, I mean, you can't. And so yeah. you have to have something where you have, and I don't call it, you know, blinding faith or anything, but you have to have a statistical probability in your favor where you know by either back testing or experience or whatever that it's, oh, I think if I go here, <clears throat> I can run it to here. Whether it's up or down doesn't matter. But mm. you you know that just out of experience. And I think the problem is, is a lot of the people that teach, they're, they're, they're teaching with like half the deck, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. They don't really get it. But I think the mental game is really where people need to focus. And uh, who was it? A couple of weeks ago we had um, on, and she was a, a trading coach. Yeah, and it's yeah really important because that's the that's one of the hardest parts that people have to master because they just don't you know they just don't get it that the execution is key yeah yeah for sure and I, and I think that even goes for you know all like any field any skills arts etc like like anyone can learn like the technical aspects or like at least sure. performers, they all they all embody they all got the, the fundamentals the technical aspects down it's like what's between our ears is you know I think what separates people, Chris, you know, you, you know, you know me and JJ. I mean, we, all of us talk every day. We're in the same trading room. We love the lifestyle questions. <laughs> a, a shit ton of cash at a young age. How did you handle that as a young man? Um, I went on many a benders, no lie. Um, had a great time through absolutely wild parties, like ridiculous parties, um, like blowing, you know, 50 grand on liquor a night. I mean, just ridiculous. And it was fun because I was trying to replace that, that excitement, you know, that you have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, I don't know even what you want to call it, that, that lust for, Hey, I want to make this happen and had a great time with it blew tons of money. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm over that phase now. I'm like, now what do I do? All right. Well, that's great. You know, can't go to Hugh house, Hugh Hefner's house all the time type of thing. It's like, okay, well, what do we do now? And that's when I got back in and then I've done, you know, training and education and, and working with people before in trading. And I kind of plowed myself into that saying, okay, well, you know, if I can do anything, what, what can I offer, you know, to that, that generation that was like me saying, Oh, I'm going to be an engineer and I'm going to go work for 50 years and, and make a little bit of money. That's ridiculous. So I was like, okay, let me go back into that where I can show people and teach people and help people understand the, the potential because there is tremendous potential in the market. You know, my mentor told me two things. He said, there's really one way of making money in the world. I said, okay, tell me what it is. He said, you own a business or you control the business. Take your pick. I said, huh. I said, okay, okay, explain this to me. He goes, okay, well, here's how it works. 
you, know, you can start a business, build it, take it public, blah, 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 all that. Or you can just run that paper. You know, you can do that side of it. I said, huh, well, that seems awful easier. And I seem like I'm fairly lazy. So I'm like, okay, why don't, why don't we do that? That seems a lot more beneficial to me. So that's how I got into it. But that's really the, the biggest thing that I do now as far as try to buy hot rods and play with cars and buy Harleys and snowmobiles and all that stuff. That's my fun hobby to do now. It okay. takes place of the parties. Okay, excellent. Chris, so you, you head up our options room. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know you also trade futures. Yep. You trade equities as well, I believe. I do. Do you prefer any one of these three over the others? And if so, why? Um, they're all kind of intertwined for me. Okay. Because, and a lot of people don't quite get that, of how that works. So let's say, you know, I'm playing something uh, and it's after hours and the stock rips from earnings and I've got, you know, calls on it. Well, there's a few ways that I can make sure that I have that taken care of, you know, as far as locked in profit. I say, okay, well, I can what short the stock, lock in the profit. I can go in and do a futures trade against it to, you know, cover that if it's in the an index. There's all sorts of things, and I think they're all intertwined. I really like the potential with the futures just because it allows smaller accounts. They don't have the PDT rule, uh, which is nice for smaller accounts because most people, I mean, really, they're not going to throw 25 grand into an account, margin account, and trade. Uh, you know, they're going to start with a couple grand, something like that. And it gives them the opportunity to make smaller trades and learn to where they can get up. And that's the other thing with options is you can control a whole lot of stock for a lot less as long as you understand your risks, which most people don't. Mm -hmm. Now, Chris, for someone like myself who, you know, I, I'm only trading, you know, I've traded futures, I've traded equities, but mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm focusing on one thing. Do you have, any general tips on how to handle trading multiple markets? Cause I know, I know a lot of people like for JJ just prefers just doing one. Yeah. I said, don't. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. The, yeah. Easiest tip. Don't mm -hmm. <laughs> because you're typically, you're not good enough to do it. Yeah. I mean, you just aren't and it's much easier to, oh, I'll give you a perfect example. So, if I want to be a race car driver, right? Do I race motorcycles, Formula One, NASCAR, Baja, Rock Crawl? Do I race everything, rally? Or do I just focus on one? Right. I get good at one. And if I'm damn good at one, then I can go into some other ones. Yeah. But I usually recommend just do one. Right. Yeah, definitely. That that makes the most sense. You know, you know I think because, like, Chris, when I was – playing poker, you know, I started off with Hold'em and, you know, it, it gets, it gets real monotonous, you know, so started playing Omaha, started playing Omaha high low, but it, it was more of a, it was a progression until, you know, get one down, then you move on to the next. 
and right. what I've seen too, and which I think I think you would probably agree with me just based on listening to you talk about the different markets is like I, I noticed like you know theoretically there were similarities between the games. So you just have to know how to make the connections. Right. I think. Would you say it's the same between uh, trading different markets? It really is. It's like we talk about every day. You can take profile and use it in the stock market with equities. Yeah. You can use it in commodities. You can use it in anything. It's just, how do I do it? And once you understand the how and you get good at that, and that's why I say focus on one thing, get good at it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't trust a heart doctor to mess with my heart. That's an orthopedic surgeon. They're both fantastic in their job, but one of them knows a heck of a lot more. And if I want him ripping my heart out, I'm going to make sure he's good at that. Same, same concept. I, I say there are similarities, but again, it's, it's crucially important to learn and get really good at one. And then typically, when you are really good at one, you tend to stick with just it because it's kind of like your baby. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so. I collected a bunch of listener questions for options since right. you are our options guy in the room. JJ, before I move on, do, do you have any um, questions for Chris and, you know, his days, you know, industry before he was, you know, became a retail trader? No, it's funny because we actually started right at the same time. I was 93, you're 94. <laughs> and it was, it was the exact same thing. You know, we had mentors who were very, with those blanket statements, like, you know, I asked him what's the, you know, which one of these deals should I buy? And it's like, you don't buy stock, JJ, you sell it. What the hell are you talking about? You don't buy stock. Who buys that? Right? Who the hell buys stock? You get stock for free and you sell it. Oh, there we go. Right. And then there's the light bulb, you know? So it's, it's fascinating how that era, I think the guys who taught us were very similar. Yeah. You know, well, we yeah. know a few of the same folks. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, especially lately, I, I've, I've been coming like um, more to this realization, you know, like, like having you guys, like talking to, talking to you, Chris, you know, hearing these things, you know, obviously, I, you know, been with JJ for this past year. I, I've now like really starting to see the value of understanding the business fully and like what you guys did. And it, it really is a game changer. Um, because you you know you can learn the technicals you can do all that stuff but just knowing the ins and outs of the business like you've really been stressing to me this whole time Jay you know like yeah. you know I think sometimes it just takes time for you know certain things to seep in you know through your journey when you're learning um, so you know just just really appreciative to you guys um, so yeah so we got some questions here Chris from the listeners okay what do we got all right now some of these might be donkey questions some might be good so you know they they're not from me. I'm just letting you know. All right. <laughs> it's pretty qualifying. I like yeah. it. <laughs> no, shout out to everybody. Everyone knows it's all. <laughs> all these people who ask the questions. It's always love. All right. Here we go. First question. Chris, do you currently manage an options trading desk or have you in the past? How many traders, if you did, pros and cons of running a prop desk? It's a pain in the ass. That's a, a definite con because you have – I think the biggest thing to deal with is the personalities. That's the biggest issue because you'll have, you know, the guy over in the corner that he's got his headphones on he's just dialed and that's, that's the way he does it. And then you got the guy maybe doing some uh, illicit uh, things on his desk 
and <laughs> just boisterous, should we say. And they're both fantastic traders. So you can't, you know, scream and yell at somebody, but that's the hardest part of managing that stuff. Uh, Cause I've had a floor. The most guys that I had on the floor was, let me think. What do we have? Like almost 30 guys on the floor. And it's, it's rough. It really is just because of that aspect of it. And we always laugh and I say, Oh, you're going to have a fight, you know, go, go fight out in the parking lot. I don't care. Go find the parking garage. <laughs> whatever, whatever. I don't care. Like this is, this is, you go settle it. You know, I'm not your babysitter. I'm not your mom. That's their racket. You know, we're here to make money. That's it. So it, that, I think that's the biggest thing. And that's why I, it's just like in the room, you know, there's a, a bunch of different personalities. Yeah. Uh, same thing on a floor there. There's a bunch of different personalities it just how it works. All right, Chris, with volatility increasing and decreasing all the time, how do you play options? Do you keep adjusting positions all the time? Isn't that irritating? No, that's your job. <laughs> that's that's your just job what you do. <laughs> it's like when you drive down the freeway, do you ever touch the steering wheel? No. Well, you've got a Tesla? You I mean, really, you've got to steer. What do you expect? That's your job. That's so, is a, a professional trader. Yeah. Your job, if you have a sizable portfolio, is mostly adjustment. Literally, you're adjusting almost all the time. That's what you do. It's just it. Yeah, right. That's just the name of the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's your job. Right. It could be worse. We could be actually doing manual labor. I mean, gosh. That's like, seriously, I actually do manual labor for fun because I work like in the shop, you know, and I'll oh, weld right. and I'll grind yeah. stuff and I'll make race car parts. And I think that's really relaxing to me. Yeah. Because you, it's fun. I like it, but you don't, and I don't want to sound degrading, but you don't have to think. Well, it's 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 also kind of cool that maybe it's left a different side of the brain or something. Right, like it's that, creative. You know? yeah. yeah, it's creative, right? I really it's, love uh, it. Yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I give you know I think about this all the time, man. Like I give credit to all these guys out here, like working out in the sun, you know, doing construction or something. I mean, especially down in Florida, I'm like, no, hell no, I'll stay inside. You know, I, right? Dude, hardest <laughs> hardest working dudes ever. You know, I'm no like, kidding. Man, if I could have I guys work that hard. On the desk, you'd be desk. killing it. Yeah. Hey, one of our best traders used to dig pools for a living. And, um, man, you, you know, when I was young, I spent an entire 10 days with a slight uh, jackhammer on my shoulder, jackhammering 30-year-old concrete. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it and works. it's like, I'm a brown guy. I look like Casper the Ghost covered in lime every day. <laughs> you know? And your whole body just ate, you know, right. that, Oh my God. So you, you really appreciate this. You're like training. This is not work. This is fun. No, exactly. so, I mean, it is work, but I mean, compared to like people who have to like really work, it's different. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Well, shout out, shout out to, you know, all the people out there doing hard work. We appreciate you. Chris, before I ask the next question, I, I thought of a question for right, my, what you got? when we were talking, you know, about how important the mental game is the emotional game. And I know you, you, you said this to me before that when you know you have a statistical edge, it takes out like that emotional factor for you. Do you want to kind of just expand on that for the listeners? 
Sure. And what I mean by that is there's certain things that once you have, and I always call it edge, you know, once you have that and you understand the other side of the business, and I think that's hugely important because most people don't, they're just counting on, you know, a red and a green line crossing. And that means you buy something. I've never understood that point. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Cause I understand what's going to happen on that. And you might have a small edge every once in a while and you might just luck out. But when you're at ease and you're not, you know, if I hit the bid, it goes my way. It doesn't go my way. Eh? It is what it is. But the only reason that I'm hitting it is because I know that the probabilities are in my favor because that setup, that structural level, what I'm trying to accomplish more than likely is going to happen. And you just don't have that emotional confliction, if that makes sense. You're not conflicted saying, oh my gosh, oh, this got to go my way. It's got to work because oh, it just yeah. doesn't. It, that, that'll kill you. Oh, no kidding, right? I mean, and that's why I try and tell people, you put your stop in a structural place, if the order flow overwhelms the structure, it's like having a buddy grab you by the, by the back of the neck and pull you out of oncoming traffic. Right. That's what your stop is, right? Your stop is there to save you from getting hit by a bus. Yeah. You know? And it's the cost to doing business. Yeah. If I was right 100% of the time, psh, I'd be at Renaissance. Or I'd be at Virtue, really. Because yeah. they're front-running everybody's order flow. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to virtue yeah, but exactly. that's you know that's the thing that people don't understand i think on the retail end is they don't like to quote quote lose money yeah. that's not lost money right and hell how much do you pay for your data feed exactly without that how would you see order flow exactly it's just part of business you you need the internet it's, that's how you trade it's like you're paying a snitch for information. Bingo. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Like I got uh, Lyle on the bid for 50000 And he's like, let's hit it. And he let's says, ah, we're good. I'm going to hold it here. Okay, perfect. Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Chris, when Chris lays out his strategies for options, are they all buying the options? No. Okay. Well, if they are buying the options... How long does he plan to stay in the trade? Because if you don't get the move right away, you'll begin to lose on the theta decay with the passage of time. Correct. So here's the one thing. And when I look at an option, uh, typically I'd say 90% of my trades come from unusual, <coughs> excuse me, unusual option activity. And what it does is gives you direction and duration. Uh, two things that you need to have. Uh, so I can say, oh, they're buying the, you know, 50 calls that are two weeks out and they're buying them in size and the stock is at a level or it has some catalyst coming up that I think may move it. Then I understand, okay, I can buy that or get something similar to that. And I'll call it, you know, if you want to go in on the cheap, you can do like a vertical spread. Um, if typically, on the options, I'll give people kind of a few options and say, okay, we're going to go directional. 
you know, just buy a call, buy a put, that's the easiest. But I'm usually not hitting the same option as the unusual activity because I can get better delta somewhere else. And most people don't quite understand how theta and vega work. They only apply to extrinsic value, not intrinsic value. And so when you start looking at that and looking at, hey, how am, I paying am I paying an exorbitant amount for this option? Then you're gonna go deeper in the money and it kind of reduces that. You'll pay more dollar amount, but you'll have less theta and less vega, if that makes sense. Shout out to Jim, that question was from Jim. Jim in Toronto, shout out to him. In the previous question, I forgot to mention him, shout out to Raz, shout out to both those guys. Next question, where and how to speed up the learning curve on options trading? I realized that there are different thoughts of options education and it makes it very confusing. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I always look at, because um, all of my mentors were, they're you know, market makers, floor traders, <laughs> specialists, guys that did it for a living and they did it for decades for a living. They're not the guys that made a lot of money selling people how to make money. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. And I'm not bashing the education guys because that's a great service, but you have to be really picky and choosy about who you are going with because there's a lot of guys out there that have never traded. They read about it in a book <laughs> and that's all they know. Yeah. And they'll give you a, a dictionary definition of everything, but they can't give you practical application. And I think that's the biggest key ingredient is the practical application. Um, and I say this to everybody, the best place to learn is on a desk. <laughs> that's where you're going to learn or go be a floor trader. That's kind of dying now though. In yeah. you know, mid nineties, it was hot. It, but yeah. that was right at the tail end. Cause when I started, we literally, we, I had one of the first internet brokerages ever. I was like, what the hell? What is this internet stuff? <laughs> I'm like, where's my telephone? <laughs> Give me a phone. You know, and that it's just a different world. And you couldn't call, you know, Ed Jones and say, hey, you know, I want to put in a butterfly spread. He'd be like, what? I don't even know what that is. You can't sell options. Well, yeah, you can. I have a long against it. And that's totally no different than a covered call. What? Yeah, no different. <laughs> and they're like, well, I don't understand it. You're like, damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a little different. But it's hard to learn, honestly. And I tell people options are kind of the deep end of the pool. Yeah. Especially uh, unusual activity or weekly options. Because there's so many moving parts that if you don't understand how those intertwine or how they play together, you're going to totally not have the right risk to reward ratio. You're going to have, you're going to more than likely not do really well. Shout out to Bara for that question. Bara in Singapore, I believe, right? Jay? Yes, I do believe he is. Singapore Bara. Appreciate nice. you. Man. Get us into that Asian market, man. I know he's trying. Next question. All right, now, Chris, bear with me on this one. This one's a little wordy, okay? All right. Ask Chris about a spread play. I've seen it done, and people use it all the time. We buy a 125C call on Apple, which is OTM for $100. As price throughout the day moves up, the price on the contracts move up as well. 
say now that 125 is trading at 325 and the 130C was $200. If I sell the 130C and lock in a $100 profit as a con as the contracts roll closer to expiration, the 125C goes in the money, but the 130C does does not. What happens? Are you able to lock in profit on the 125 and watch the 130 expire, or would you try to buy out the 130 earlier? So, did he sell the 130 call and bought the 125 call? Um, shit, let me, uh, yeah, he bought he bought the 125 call. Or was he thinking of rolling to the 130 call? So I'm not quite sure of the question. So, and then you also have to always understand which expirations are the same or are they different? Because um, one of my favorite trades is what my, one of my mentors, he ran the Philly exchange uh, and he was the head of derivatives there forever. And he kind of came up with this stock replacement covered call strategy, which I think is fantastic. So you're buying a deep in the money call. So let's say that, the 125 is deep in the money and then you're selling and typically I'm going around to 80 Delta on the deep in the money um, because that gives me a lot of good intrinsic value and I only have a very small amount of volatility risk and theta, uh, but I'm going far out in time for that. I'm going, let's say six months out. So I have almost no theta burn on it then, but the volatility always, always has to be right. So I'm looking at the implied and historic. So then I'm selling a front week because I'm trying to take advantage of theta to get the theta burn. Because when you sell, theta works in your favor. When you buy, it works against you. And I'm typically going anywhere from about a 30 to a 25 uh, out of the money. So effectively kind of what I have is a, you take the 30 delta negatives and take the 80 delta positives and you have a 50 difference. So you're positive fifties and effectively you have an at the money call that you're getting paid to hold. If that makes sense. Um, so it's kind of nice to do it that way. Um, but when that call moves up, I'm always, I typically what I'll do, let's say I bought that 125 call <coughs> and it was, you know, whatever it was, 80 deltas. When that 130 call, the long side, the one that I bought, moves to 80 deltas, I will roll it up and I'll lock that profit. Because then I have that money in my pocket. They can't do anything, it's mine. And I'm still in the trade, still 100% size. I'm still having theta work for me. And I very seldom will adjust the short position on that trade. I'll just get called out of it if I need to and that's fine and I'll you know the the only side of that that you have to understand is the short call is the only position in options that can make you short stock so you need to understand that so if you're short stock you have to what JJ buy to cover exactly so you've got to cover that position so there's two ways to do that one is either have the money in your account and in one contract at a one 25 or 130 short call, you got to have 13 G um, or whatever the, the position is. Or you can close your long call, take the profits from that and then cover your short position. But that can screw you in dividends. And I talked about this a little in the webinar I did. Because you will owe dividends if it's dividend day. Shout out to 
Eric <clears throat> Staten Island. Eric, that was too damn long of a question. <laughs> well, and Eric, and you know what I did too? I asked Eric and Eric for a degenerate question because I he owes us a pizza. Yeah. Stat. I mean, goddamn, Eric. I mean, he he. I, I told him the, the degenerate question. We got all serious questions, and then he gives me this. He gives me like the worst yeah. question. That's <laughs> all right, though. Next question. I'd like to know on what Chris bases his options trades. Is it purely technical analysis or does he monitor option flows using software and then takes trades accordingly? Flow. Always order flow. Shout out to, uh, this is a tough one. Bat, to bat, I'm just going to call you Bat. Uh, shout out to you. Appreciate the question. How does he use implied volatility on his options trades as implied volatility is a key aspect of options? I ask this because the ticker could be going up to the moon, but you would lose money on your options trade due to implied volatility. Kinda, uh, but not really. Volatility, and this will be a long answer, holy mackerel. So volatility is the most, well, it's the only price model that we don't understand in the option pricing. So to the pricing model inputs are the stock price, so the last traded price, the strike price, the days to expiration, the risk-free interest rate, dividends, obviously cost to carry, you know, if you're long stock, you collect dividends, but you pay interest, short stock, you pay dividend, but you collect interest. So kind of backwards on that and then, the volatility, we have to know the future volatility, uh, which we will never know until expiration. It is a mathematical formula, but we don't know it because it is different. And I went through this on the webinar as well. I would say definitely go to the webinar, but there's different types of things that you're looking at. So volatility is fairly simple to understand. It is essentially the standard deviation of the stock price. So you could have a stock going to the moon and it could have really low volatility. You know, let's say it's, you know, up 20 cents one day and it's down 35 cents the other day. And you, you actually can plot that out. It comes out on a bell curve and it'll tell you what the standard deviation is. Now, if a stock doesn't change much in price, it doesn't have those big moves. It'll have low volatility, even though it's going up or going down. It doesn't matter. Volatility has nothing to do with price when it comes to up or down. It's deviation from the mean. And so if you kind of wrap your head around that and say, okay, well, how do I use that to figure out whether an option is cheap or expensive? And you can, you can calculate the historic volatility. That's a number we know. What, it, what volatility has been, and then you have your forecast volatility. That's the, the thing we don't know. And so what you're trying to do is you can look at the skew and you can figure out, okay, what is the smart people in the room? You know, what do they think volatility is gonna be? And they'll mark that you know, accordingly in the option price. And that's the volatility in the option. So you can actually go in and look at that and find certain options, because I'll find options uh, the other day I was looking at one, someone asked me, and it was like the 110s uh, volatility had actually gone down like 5% that day, and every other strike 
in that chain had gone up like 4%. I was like, wow, that's interesting. So what does that tell me? Somebody knows something. <laughs> Somebody somewhere doesn't want to, you know, sell options or, or buy options expensively and, and they're changing the pricing. And so I look at volatility. It is incredibly important. The easiest way to figure it is you look at implied and historic implied volatility. If it's high, more than historic volatility is typically a good time to sell options. If implied, or no, I'm backwards. You know, that's right. Uh, implied volatility. So it's expensive. Historic volatility. Obviously, if it's high and your implied volatility is cheap, then it's a good time to buy options. But if you're holding them into earnings or something like that, always remember that into earnings, typically usually about a week, week and a half or so prior, there will be volatility pump into that because it is an expected event on a date that we know. And so we will forecast that there is volatility likely to come in and you'll charge accordingly. If that makes sense. It does. Okay. To Julio, appreciate the question. Next one up. Is it necessary to learn models like Black Shoals and others to trade derivatives? That is what the pricing model is. It's black. Well, it's the predominant model. There, there's several, but um, the Black Shoals model, it's fantastic math. Um, it, they won a Nobel. Well, they didn't. He did um, because one died, but they won a Nobel Prize for it. It is fantastic. And it's not hard. Like the math is incredibly complex. You don't have to know the whole math and the formula behind it. It's helpful, but you don't have to. It's kind of like saying, do I need to know how an internal combustion engine works to drive a car? No, yeah. you need to know how to drive a car, but I don't need to know all that. I need to know, hey, is the oil pressure low? Do I have gas? You know, are the filters clean? I need to know that stuff. And there's, there's only a few Greeks as Delta Gamma Theta Vega Rho are the Greeks. We don't really use Rho anymore because we don't have interest rates. So <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> but all right. it's, once you know what to look for, it, it becomes much easier. Shout out to Dan, a.k.a. Dapper Dan. He's going to be down in Miami with me this weekend. Nice. Should be fun. I got to keep this kid out of trouble. <laughs> Next question. I'd love to hear Chris talk about his top setup and, and type of option trade from four beginning small account options traders. What would he recommend? Whether it's simple calls or maybe spreads. Also, general resource and tips for those types of traders. Uh, for small accounts, um, it, and I, I always hesitate because I don't know what people mean when they say small account. I mean, as a small account, 500 grand is a small ground, five grand. Is it, you know, 500? I, I don't know what a small account is, but I have two main trades that are kind of my go-to. One is my income trade, which is that stock replacement diagonal. Uh, absolutely love that trade. It is a long-term trade, but it's something where you can get, a really decent ROI every week um, and really define your risk, which is fantastic. Um, for that, I do use technical setups based on profile and based on structure. 
but it's longer term. So I'd like to see, you know, some good balance area. I'd like to see where it might go. Uh, and that gives me an idea of what kind of positioning I need in that. Uh, then for short term, my favorite trades are always unusual activity. They're absolutely fantastic. It's what I learned on. Because you have to think about how that came about. Because back then, you know, you're, let's say you're on the exchange and you're at the SIBO and you're, you're, you're at your post, right? <laughs> you're standing down there and people are screaming and yelling and you know who freaking works for Goldman. You know who Citadel is. You know who these guys are. And one dude opens up a hundred thousand calls for next Friday's expiration. Psh. Goldman's not stupid. They're the big stack bully. You know, they, they know what they're doing. And that's typically a trade that you're not going to take the other side of. You'd think you'd have some statistical edge at least, you know, based on it being a dumb trade, but you're not going to take that trade because you're looking at it saying, well, these guys are usually doing the opposite of that. They're selling premium. They're, you know, they're bringing in. Why, why in the world will they do that? That's out of the money. It, it's just kind of those, what the heck are you guys thinking about trades? And those seem to work really, really well because typically it's all about information flow and, you know, the guys at the top have it and retail never will. And that's kind of how you take advantage. Mm -hmm. So this, I prefer those for short term little accounts, but you have to be really, really diligent on your setups. The way I trade those is anytime I'm hitting a hundred percent on the return, I'm either going to roll it or sell half my position. Um, if it ever goes, well, 50 is just a dead stop. That's a, no go further than that. But if you're good at structure and you understand where, you know, it might go to run some stops and then pop back up something like that or pop down either way, then you can take a smaller loss. Uh, but typically 50 is my max loss on my UOA trades. Shout out to Dolan Mick for the question. He's doing great work over there at HBO max. Chris follows unusual options activity, but there are many different variables and options for defining unusual, such as implied volatility changes or volume changes versus open interest with or without underlying stock movement, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Of all the ways to define unusual options activity, what is the one set of things you filter for that leads to your overall long-term success? In other words, what is unusual options activity that is in the trade plan for Chris? Experience. <laughs> That's the easiest way to put it. Um, because just because it has unusual activity or activity doesn't mean I'm going to trade it. That that's, that's kind of the first thing that pops up. Everyone's like, Oh wow. Well, this had 10,000 calls sold on it. Like, so what? It was tied to stock. What are you thinking? You know, it was a buy, right? What are you doing? Why would you even think that that's a good trade? It's not going to do nothing. And then I also look for catalysts. You know, whether it's mer merger acquisition, a product launch, uh, news event, uh, earnings, something like that, some catalyst that could be there. Um, but really you're looking at it because there's, there's no way to tell what that person or that firm or that, you know, family office or whoever the heck it was. There's no way to tell what they were thinking unless you were on their desk and you were talking with them. 
So it's like I always say, just because someone buys a bunch of calls, that doesn't necessarily mean that's a bullish play. Because if you are short a million shares of stock and you want to lock that in and just totally define your risk, what's the best way to do that? Can't put a stop loss on it because it could gap and rip you. But if you have calls on it, oh, I guarantee I can get out at 50 cents. That's my stop. There, there it is. And I have the right to basically turn my short share. I got to buy them at, for 50 cents. Oh, that's fine. I can cover it. That's good. Perfect. So it, it's a really good way. But again, there's a lot of moving parts. So it really comes down to experience. Shout out to the waterboard extraordinaire. I'm talking about Jerry, a.k.a. Dirty Grandpa. Thank you for the question. Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. All right, next question. Chris Hanks uses market profile. Mm -hmm. If so, how does he use it? I thought there was only one way to use it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that's the question. So I'm not. I'm not uh, I was like, I thought there was only one way to use it. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, yeah. right. JJ, tell me, am I wrong? I thought there well, was only I, one I don't way. know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll get it to. I don't know. Cook us a chicken or something. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Turn it into a broiler. <laughs> I can have enough screens that it'll set around a chicken. We'll warm it up. I, I think. I mean. I'm guessing he's asking you use market profile to, to help um, with options trading, I'm assuming. Yes, I actually, I laughed because in my webinar, I tried to set up like candle charts to make them look pretty because most people that trade options don't understand profile and I didn't want to overly confuse people. Yeah. And so I tried to make it look like they would look at it, make sense. It's kind of hard, but mm -hmm. I would rather use profile because it makes more sense. All right. Well, shout out to Mux for the question, a long time listener of the pod. We appreciate the question. That wraps up the options questions. Chris, appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate answering the questions. I just got to ask, you know, I got like a miscellaneous question because this, because I think this came up the other day. You used to rock a mullet. You said, Oh, absolutely. It was freaking fantastic. And I had the side shaved and uh, I had the steps on the above my ears. I look, I look bad. You're going to have to find us an old picture, man. Uh, I'll, I'll find, I'll find one. And then I'll find one where I had like long hippie hair. Like uh, I had it all the way down, like parted in the middle. I looked like super awesome 70s singer and it was down to my shoulders. <laughs> it was good looking. <laughs> oh, man, Chris, what's your favorite world city? What's my favorite what? Uh, city, your favorite city you've been to. Where? Where in, anywhere in the world. Um, it would be a toss-up between, you know what, I love Dublin. Um, I love uh, Phuket, Thailand. I love Placentia in Belize. I love Fez in Morocco. Um, I love Goa in India. I love Paris and Christmas. That's always fun. Um, what else? I love everywhere. I, I don't have a favorite. Everything is so different. That's why I like it. Right. Okay, I can see that. 
like in each place is where it's on, you know, unique. Right. The only place I haven't been yet and I'm really kind of sad was Antarctica. I was going to go there. This is years ago. Um, I had an opportunity to go study neutrinos. I wasn't going to be the scientist or anything, but I was going to be support to go study neutrinos in Antarctica. And it was a six month assignment. And so I didn't end up doing it, but I wish I would have because that would have been cool to live in Antarctica for six months. That would be an adventure for sure. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. That, that's an experience. That's cool. I do all sorts of dumb things. Yeah. No, I, I like it. I like it. All right. What else did I have for you? Christy, do you have any crazy mo- like party moments that stick out to you in your mind? Um, yeah. Hilarious, actually. We were at the Playboy 60th birthday. <laughs> and uh, we were down there. And it was my whole crew. I had everybody. And uh, I have a friend who's, he's a sweetheart and D is good. Lord. I mean, play basketball. He's like six, six, huge guy, just jacked. And uh, he put on a fake British accent and uh, he was our security for the day. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> and so my other buddy was friends with Mike Tyson. Right. And I was like, okay. And he's trying to, to school me on Mike Tyson. And he goes, Chris, here's the deal. He goes, Mike is the nicest guy ever, but when he, you know, if he's drinking, he'll get a little feisty. He goes, and there's nobody on the planet you want to punch you like Mike Tyson. That's horrible. And he goes, so all you have to say, he goes, Mike, you still the champ. I was like, what? There's no way. And he's like, yeah, just say that. And he'll, he'll be totally cool. And he'll be like, oh man, you serious, man. It was, that was pretty funny. And then we were at the Rhino after that was right <laughs> after that. We were at the Rhino mm-hmm. and uh, freaking oh, Jay-Z. He's, we're in the VIP, right? And uh, there's this girl and she was acting a little crazy and Jay-Z took a bottle and threw it and it hit on her head. And we were like, what the hell? It, that was pretty funny. Um, just because she was getting a little wild. But I have a few like that. That's great. <laughs> but yes, yeah, those were, yeah, those were like crazy. Like you watch The Hangover and that I kind of lived that for a while. And it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. At least least you didn't wake up missing a finger. Right? Yeah. Daisy throwing a bottle at a girl's head. That's, wow. No, it was crazy. And it was nuts. And, you know, obviously we're like, okay, it's about our time to leave. You know, because we'd been in there for like a day. So. (laughs) For a day. (laughs) Yeah, it was a a good bit. Yeah. It was pretty funny. (laughs) And then we, we all took the limo back to the hotel. We're like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That we were staying at the Palazzo at the time. Oh yeah. Okay. I like the Palazzo. We had a big suite up there. It was fun. Yeah. yeah nice place. Yeah. It's a good place. Hey, Chris, you know, speaking of the Rhino, you, you almost became uh, owner. Oh, man. Yeah. That was a bad deal. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we were putting it together and uh, one of my partners uh, just happened to, you know, have a a private equity guy that, you know, is a, he's a Salt Lake deal guy. What do you expect? Of course, we knew, of course we live next to the guy that owned the Rhino. And so yeah. he was trying to off it and we were going to get it. And then that didn't work out. He ended up uh, shooting himself in my driveway after he stole 6.9 million bucks, which sucked. Is, is what it is. It'll happen. Yeah. As my grandfather says, you can't play in the gutter and not get dirty. Yeah. Right. right. 
yeah, you know, listening to you and JJ, you know, like there's a lot of, you know, it's not always glitz and glamour. There's a lot of money. And then there's also, you know, you talked about people screwing you up. Oh yeah. You've mentioned I've had several, I've yeah. had several like that. Right. JJ, you mentioned all the suicides, Chris, you know, you just brought that up. So, you know, yep. Not always glitz and glamour, but nope. good, good stories though, Chris. Good stories. Oh, they're hilarious. Yeah. They're, I, I sit back and I'm like, oh my Lord, how did I live for as long as I did? I wonder why I freaking need a new heart. Uh, <laughs> Lord. Hey, we got to get you in touch with Dick Cheney or something. We gotta, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but. Hooked up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for the listeners, the Rhino, uh, Rhinos, Pyramid Rhinos uh, is a strip of, just for context, I don't know. You know. It's an industrial uh, down behind TI and Trump Tower in, in Vegas. Yeah. It's yeah. a nice place. I mean, they got them. I mean, there's one down here in West Palm, which I told you I was there too. Yeah, it's a chain. There, the original one is in London, uh, West End, actually, if I remember right. Oh, that's the original. Uh, but they have them. Yeah, they have them all over the world. Oh wow, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know there was overseas too. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, well, no. that's where they started in London. Yeah, well, it was funny because before we started, because I told you like what we, I, I knew one of the bouncers at the one in West Palm Beach. I, I don't, I don't think he works there no more, but he was a former UFC guy. Right. I guess that's what they do, right? Because you were telling me the guy in Vegas, there was a UFC guy. Yeah, he beat somebody to death, literally. Yeah. And it's like, well, who else are you going to hire? Can't shoot everybody. Exactly. Got to be able to throw some hands every once in a while. And the guy, man, this guy was, yeah, I used to work out at the gym with him. I mean, not with him, but he worked out at the same gym I worked out at. And uh, just scary guy. I mean, calves, calves the size of my biceps. And like, probably, <laughs> bigger, probably bigger. You know what I mean? Ridiculous. Yeah, I know a few of the fighters, and they're really nice guys. They're super nice guys. Yeah, um, no, exactly. But, it, but it's because they know they could smoke you, like, instantly, and it's not an issue. Right. Yeah. Right. They don't, yeah, they, they don't have to put up that, that tough guy facade. No. Yeah. It's established. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, so. you think BlackRock walks in and says, hey, I'm BlackRock. What? <laughs> no, of course not. Uncle Larry knows who he is. Exactly. Uncle Larry, shout out to Uncle Larry. Oh, man. Well, that's been a great show. It concludes today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed this show, please rate and review it for us. If you guys want to learn market auction theory, market profile, trade futures, trade equities, options, join JJ, Chris, and I at microefutures.com. Chris, uh, if you want, you can let the people know where they can find you um, and anything else you'd like them to know. Yeah, you can find me in the room. Yeah. How about that? Hey. I'm all sorts of low profile. I, I always laugh about that. I say, you can find guys on Twitter that have 50,000 followers and they'd never traded in their life. And then there's a guy with 10 followers that has a billion dollar fund. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you got to know. Exactly. Well, I, mean, I mean, that's kind of how it is, right? A lot of a lot of these guys, I mean, someone even like yourself, Chris, they, they you guys rather stay behind the scenes. You know, you don't care about all that. You don't nope. even want to know who you are. Nope. I like, I enjoy it just for the camaraderie, just to hang out, just to have a little fun during the day, break up the monotony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we do, you know, I, I mean, I, I know you guys, I think you guys do. I mean, I have a lot of fun in the room just bullshitting. Around. Oh, I love it. Yeah. We just bullshitting around joking. I mean, obviously we, you know, we trade, we take it serious, but you know, we have fun at the same time and you know, I really enjoy it. I appreciate you guys. Love it. You know, son. And uh, thank you very much, Chris. Really appreciate everything that, you know, you've helped us with in the room and uh, how you're, uh, 
you know, a great resource for people um, and the way you help people out. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. I enjoy the heck out of it. I think, again, I think it's fun. Absolutely. It keeps me young. Good stuff. Good stuff. So for Chris Hanks, I'm Polly Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop, so. Good night. <laughs> High Street Station. <laughs>